All right, if you want to find a seat. What a beautiful weekend, huh? That's just been a great weekend. What a, what a great weekend to celebrate uh, family and, and uh, moms. Way to go, you know? Um, yeah. Way to go, moms. I, I'm, I'm married to a mom, and uh, she does a really good job. <laughs> Not my mom, okay? Just to be clear. A mom. And uh, man, I, there, is, there is nothing like the love of a mom. And uh, so today, uh, we want to we wanna bless the, the mothers in the room. Um, we also want to be sensitive to those who have a little bit of grief on Mother's Day, uh, whether you're missing a mom or, 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 or otherwise. Uh, if there's something else, if your relationship with your mom's complicated, we, wanna be, we, we want you to know we see you and we love you. Um, but yeah, I wanted to let you know we've got some flowers. We want you to take that just as a little reminder uh, that, that, uh, that you're loved this morning. So um, we've got a couple announcements. The, uh, we, we're going to have a, another song added to the end of the service. I don't know if you guys caught that. So that'll be really good. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so hey, we got our, on Mother's Day, the first annou- announcement is man breakfast. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Uh, we do have a man breakfast coming up on uh, at 9 a.m. That's a couple Saturdays away here. It's an it's a time for um, bacon and discipleship. That's how I would describe it. And so come and be a part of that. Uh, we are working on a date for our next ladies' night. Should be relatively soon. Working on that, figuring out a, a time for that. Um, our, our Super Sunday, our public, is actually going to be on June 4th, not Memorial Day weekend, because we know Memorial Day weekend is, is a time where a lot of people are out, and we wanted to um, make sure that we could all be together. And then we're also, this, this time, mark June 4th on your calendars, because we're going to have a, uh, a important um, family meeting, and hopefully have some news about um, f- our future location, um, which I'll share about, uh, hopefully on June 4th. So, um, yeah, so be, be there. Hopefully that will be enticing enough for you to come. So, anyways, I want to pray, and uh, then we're going to get into the word this morning. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this weekend, God. Lord, to, uh, to feel the, the, the warmth of your love. And God, I, I just thank you for the, the mothers in this room. Lord, I thank you. I want, I want to just bless them in the name of Christ, that they would continue to feel your love and grace in every, every part of their parenting, Lord. Parenting is a tough journey. And Lord, we pray for continued strength. We could pray for continued support and love from you and your people. Lord, I also want to recognize uh, those who today is kind of complicated, kind of difficult. Lord, I pray that you would see them today and meet them and, and show them more of your love and grace in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so switching gears, we're going to get into uh, the word today. We're in the book of James. We started the series a couple weeks ago. We're continuing today. And uh, the, the series that we're in is called Live Intentionally. I love the book of James because it is so practical. Who likes practical things? Who's a practical thinker? James is for you guys. I mean, James really is. It's, it's a very practical book. Um, if you are like a friend of mine and who uh, says art's pointless because people should just tell you how they feel, um, this is a great book for you. <laughs> art's not practical enough, apparently, for some people. 
But uh, the book of James was written to a young and restless church in Jerusalem, the, the birthplace of the church. And James was a leader in the church, and he wrote this letter to all the, all the people sort of under his care to challenge them to, towards maturity in Christ. The, the message of the book of James is God wants you to grow. God wants you to mature. God wants you to take steps of faith and, and not be a disciple only in your head, but in your heart and in your hands. What you do matters. And that's the, the message of James. And in chapter 2, James gets into how we interact with one another. And specifically, he talks about a scenario happening in his church. But in James 2, James shows us how our faith should shape how we interact with each other how we interact with people. Our faith should actually widen our scope on who we connect with, not shrink it. God doesn't want his church to isolate into small groups of people. God wants us to have our arms open wide, arms open wide to all people. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we protect ourselves from everyone. It means that we actually love everyone more deeply like Christ loved them. And so this message in James 2 that we're going to see today is a message that we're called the love without bias. Love without bias. We are to love people the way that Jesus loves people in a way that's unaffected by how much money people have, how much status people have, by their race, by a disability, anything else that might affect the way that we view people. And I want you to know this is straight out of God's word. There is no political angle on this at all. God tells us we are to love all people. And he uses, James uses this word called favoritism, that the church is not to show favoritism. So we're going to read this passage today. In the, as we go through the book of James, I think it's important that we just read the whole uh, the whole passage and sometimes in some church traditions at the end of reading the word of God the, the, the pastor the minister says this is the word of the Lord and the people respond, respond praise be to God it's kind of a cool way to do it and so if, if you want to do that feel free so here's James 2 it says my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. You show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here is a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as, you, as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom 
because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Good job, guys. That was excellent. That's like we've been doing that for two years. Feels good. I hope when you hear this, you can see how practical it is. Sometimes when we come to a, a Bible passage, sometimes we have to dig for the meaning or what it means to us today. Not so with James. J James is pretty plain. It's, if you like meat and potatoes, this is meat and potatoes. I love how timeless it is that James' words today are as, are as relevant and needed as they were 2,000 years ago. It also shows you that some of the stuff we struggle with today, they struggled with 2,000 years ago. And so here James speaks to this issue called favoritism in the church, and he says it's a sin issue. I think it's interesting that of all the different issues that James could focus on, he chose this one. He, he preserved a big amount of real estate in his letter to deal with favoritism. He could have talked about a lot of different things. He could have talked about uh, anger, violence, premarital sex, substance abuse, all these different things. But he said, no, this problem that I want to deal with in the church right now is how you guys are interacting together. Like there's, there's some weird dynamics going on as you guys gather together, and we need to talk about that. I think what it tells us is this. God cares about how we value each other. God cares a lot about how we value each other, how we see each other, and how we treat each other. God cares about how we love our neighbors, because it, he doesn't even just keep it within the church. He talks about loving your neighbor. God cares about the way we love our neighbors, our co-workers, and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, God's really concerned about how we treat each other in the church, because the church is supposed to look a lot different than the world. It's supposed to be a different kind of community. So God cares. You know, when we go out of our way to honor someone or love someone, it makes a, a big difference in that person's life. When we, when we sacrifice of our, ourselves, our time, our love to, to, to show somebody honor, it makes a huge difference. And um, last February, I was in Illinois for a class I was taking at Wheaton College. And so that's about three months ago, and I'm in Illinois twice a year for the program I'm doing. And I really in, in have enjoyed my trips out there. The only problem was I had been through two weeks of class. I was about an hour away from downtown Chicago, and I didn't, I hadn't gone. I felt like a loser, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, my, our days were pretty long, and I was just kind of a chicken. I didn't want to go by myself. Uh, so... One of, my, one of my classmates named Jose found out about this, and he said, that's totally unacceptable, man. We're going tonight. This was the last day before I came back. And Jose took me on a tour, like a real tour of downtown, drove me around. We saw everything in the span of three hours. Um, I had to slow him down, okay? So we saw Willis Tower, Magnificent Mile. We saw the Bean. You guys know the Bean in Chicago? Really big deal in Chicago, this mirrored Bean. Um, and uh, we even drove out to Wrigley Field. At the end of our time, I'm ready to go home. He's like, what else do you want to see? What else do you want to see, you know? And it was just really cool to be honored in that way. Like, hey, man, you didn't have to take your whole evening and drive me around. Uh, and I felt like a VIP, you know? But I was just, a, I was just a, a random classmate. And here, Jose showed me so much honor. I felt so loved. Um, 
by that. You know, he chose to honor me, not that I, like I was a stranger, but like I was his best friend. Like that's, that's how it felt. And I got the feeling that's how God wants us to treat people in the church. Like treat people like they're your best friend. Treat people like family. We're the family of God. Treat people in the church like family. God wants his church to be a blessing to all people. Not, not to be selective about who we bless and who we dismiss. And this is what I want us to see in James 2 today. This is what makes the church different. God has called his church to value people the world would dismiss. The, the people lower on the social pecking order, Jesus actually called us to elevate those people. And it's clear that this church in Jerusalem had fallen into a worldly pattern. It's a pattern that says, we're going to love people who can love us back. We're going to honor people who we know will honor us back well. It's specifically around this issue of money. James could have focused on a lot of things. James could have focused on, on race. And the church that Jesus instituted is a multicultural space, right? It's, a, it's where people from every tongue, tribe, and nation come together. He could have focused on that. He could have focused on politics, and that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But he, he focuses on this, uh, the wealth and, and poverty in the church and people giving preference to those who are, are wealthy. And he just comes out and, and uh, addresses it. And I want to say, as a pastor, I don't want to be affected in how I pastor by how much people make. Right? I want to be able to pastor from the heart. I don't, I don't want to, I, I want to remove from my mind, and I pray that God removes from my mind, how can this person help me? Because that's not how, what Jesus wants. That's not how Jesus wants us to approach the world. That's how a politician approaches the world. How can this person help me? How can I reach this demographic? And so Jesus said this about our giving. Our giving is not supposed to uh, and our finances are not even supposed to really enter into the equation when it comes to our place in community. And Jesus said this, he said, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So the relationship in giving and wealth is really a relationship between you and God. When you give, when you give big, when you give small, when you give to a point where it hurts you, like that, your reward is between you and God. Your reward is between you and God. That's the whole goal. And so, while there's all sorts of ways we can disclude people, the text here focuses specifically on favoritism based on wealth and giving. And it speaks of treating a rich person differently than a poor person. The Bible tells us that we as humans, over and over again, that we as humans can be led astray by the love of money. Not money itself, but when we love it. It's sort of like a default of our culture. Like if you don't know what you want to do in life, you probably just want to make money right? You probably just want to make money to the point where you're comfortable. And the Bible talks about this time and time again, that that should not be our ultimate goal in life. 
In Proverbs 23, it says this, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So he's saying, don't make your life about trying to chase the, the, almost like the American dream, right? Chase as much money as you can. They'll, it'll fly away. And this desire for wealth can creep into our heart. And, and our default mode can become this never-ending quest for more, more wealth, more independence. And if you know you're struggling with this, if you ever reach a point where you're, you're jealous about what other people have, right? You may not have, but you may be jealous about what other people have or what they're doing. And this danger that Scripture paints is that loving money actually lulls us to sleep spiritually. If we pursue wealth, it actually lulls us to sleep. I, I love what Proverbs 30 says. It says, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. I think out of maybe any verse in scripture, this shows you what God wants our hearts to be towards money, right? God doesn't want us to pursue abundant wealth. He may give you abundant wealth. He may give you abundant wealth to bless people, for his kingdom. Um, and it's not just taking a vow of poverty and being a beggar. That's also not what God's calling you to. He's calling you to be content with enough. Enough. He's calling us to enough. And he's saying enough is the place where we're free. It's a place where we're free to just pursue God. We don't reach a point where we don't need God. He says we disown God when we get to that point. But we're also not at the point where we're going to dishonor God, where we're going to be tempted to steal or whatever, or do whatever we can for, for bread. So both poverty and wealth, they create temptations for us to be unfaithful to God, whether that's dishonoring God or disowning God. And the best thing that we can pursue as a church is to be thankful that we have enough gratitude. Thank God. When, when, we, when we're thankful with enough, we see the world differently, right? We can, we can enjoy what God has given us, however big or small it is, and we're also free enough to give to others. God wants us to be in that place. And James reveals that at his church, even in the early stages, they were missing it when it came to their, their value of money. Money started changing the way they were treating each other. Think about this. James is the first book written in the New Testament. It happens about 10 years after the church starts. And this is how the church in Jerusalem is described, about 10 years before this is written. It says in Acts 2.44 that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In 10 years, this worldly value had slipped into the church. And, and they started giving preference to people. But look at this beautiful place from where they were. 
I was joking about the commune thing a while ago, right? Like, where they just, they just gave as, as they had need. They were all together. All that mattered was the fact that they were, they were saved in Christ, that they were a community, a family. And really, when we look at that passage in Acts 2, that's the church at its most beautiful. A church that's sharing, a church where, hey, do you need something? I can help you with that. Like, the church is so powerful when it's generous. The church is so powerful when it's generous. It's not that they shared, like, they didn't have one common bank account, but they saw a need and they met it. They weren't scared to meet other, other people's needs within the church. When Bonnie and I were just starting out in ministry, um, we had a really rough seven-month stretch where we moved from Portland to Montana and then to Ferndale uh, on a youth pastor's salary. Uh, we, so we had drained all our savings. We, we rolled in on fumes to Ferndale. And we had this couple in, in this church we rolled into that saw us, that saw what we, had, kind of the journey we had been on. And they, they felt like God had put it on our heart to just, like, restore our savings. It's like, whoa, God, seriously? It's just, it's one of those moments where you feel the love of God in such a tangible way. And I can just say, I mean, it's so meaningful for me and, and my family. But it's so beautiful when we live generously, when we don't view what we have as our own, but we think, who can we bless with what we have? So we get to this church, and in, so in this short 10-year span, this church in Jerusalem that James had pastored had gone from this, this mentality where everything was shared, if you had a need, we'll meet it, to now sitting people down based on their income. Like, there was a disconnect there. But James gives us a real scenario. Like, I think one of the things about this passage is that it's so real. Like, James could be talking about a church today. First of all, there's a weekly gathering that they have. They're, they meet weekly. But scholars think it's either, either in, a, in a house or in a public place. And they, uh, they had seating, which was limited. And we're growing, guys. I think we're going to get to a point where seating will be limited, and some of you will have to stand. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm praying for that. Yeah. The problem is they had ushers. That's the real problem here. Uh, we, that's why we don't have ushers. I just want you to know that. But no, they had these ushers that were, like, thinking in terms of, okay, who's the most important? Or who looks the most important? Not even who is, but who is wearing the nice clothes. Let's sit them up front. These, these poor people over here, we're going to have them sit by my feet. Which feet were stinky? need to know that. They were stinky. Or we'll have them go stand at the wall so the important people can enjoy what's going on. It's just backwards thinking. God doesn't want any hint of that in his church. Nothing, nothing. That's why James just hammers them. Get, get that thinking out of the church. We will show preference to nobody. We're all God's family. Jesus never made the poor secondary citizens, right? No, it was always the opposite. James gives, gives the church this rebuke in verse 3. He says, If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or go sit on the floor by my stinky feet. That's my translation, stinky feet. 
Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? God, judge people, right? This is favoritism. When we choose who belongs based on what we see. When I was in high school, this feels very high school to me. I don't know about you guys. But when I was in high school, we knew who the elite cra crowd were because they wore Abercrombie and Fitch. Anybody with me? <laughs> Ripped up jeans and a rugby shirt. That was the early 2000s. That was it. Now I don't even know if Abercrombie's open. There's also a Christian version of Abercrombie. Do you remember what that was called? A bread crumb and fish? <laughs> Just throwing it out there. The church tried. They really tried. They tried to be cool. Um, I never owned either, um, so just kind of stayed out of that scene. But I also remember getting into my 20s, and, and all of a sudden, there were these scenes at churches where everybody dressed really nice, right, where everybody looked great. And we found out some, even some of our friends that were going to these churches were, like, maxing out credit cards to keep up with the fashion, Praise God for CTK Blaine. Uh, you guys look great. But I am thankful that I can dress like, I mean, my jeans are not ripped up, okay? They, they look pretty normal. I'm glad I can, I can chill. I'm glad I can chill. This kind of favoritism is not from God. I love um, how New Testament scholar, his name is Douglas Moo, he describes what this concept is of favoritism. What is, what is he really trying to say in that time, in that context? He says this, favoritism translates from a Greek word meaning receiving the face. To receive the face is to make judgments and distinctions based on external considerations, such as physical appearance, social status, or race. This God never does. As the Old Testament repeatedly, repeatedly affirms, and God's people are to imitate him in this respect. So receiving the face, making a judgment based on what someone looks like. If you want to be intentional in growing in your faith, James is saying, think about who you're kind to and who you're not kind to. Who are the people that you're making time and space for? Are they all people that look like you, act like you, think like you, talk like you? Because that, that's not it. That's not it in, in the church, in the kingdom of God. And Jesus left heaven and earth and came and entered our time and space in order to reach a people that wouldn't receive him. This is what it talks about in John 1. It says that he entered a world that was hostile to him. John says the world did not recognize him, did not receive him. And while Jesus was despised by the religious elite, he resonated with the poor and the lame and the lepers. He received women and children, others who, who had been pushed to the margins. These were people that were looked down on by the elite. Jesus actually received these people receive these people. And of course, Jesus wants his church to do the same thing. Of course, Jesus wants his church to do the same thing. We are a part of the family of God, united under the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ can unite anybody. And that's, that's what unites us. James says in verse 8, he says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. 
you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James can't be more clear. Favoritism is sin, like over and over and over again. We sometimes, it's one of the ones that might fly under the radar for us, you know? But he says, don't, don't do this. Why? Because it's breaking what Jesus called the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus really cares about our neighbors. Did you know that? He really cares about how we treat our neighbors. And there are a lot of people we love in life. Today we're probably celebrating family, which is great. We have friends we click with. But you know what? You don't, maybe in some cases you do, but most of the time you don't choose your neighbors, right? You don't choose your neighbors. Like we, some of us would love to spend all our time with our family, right? Some of us would love to spend all of our time with our friends. Jesus is like, hey, have you knocked on your neighbor's door? Like, really? Years ago, we had neighbors across the street that came and knocked on our door one time, and they said, hey, just so you know, uh, we're going to paint our house bright yellow. <laughs> Literally, when you open our door, they're the house you see. And I was holding back rage, and I said, oh, okay, sounds good. <laughs> just holding it in, holding it in. And so... Every time we opened our window, it was literally highlighter yellow. Highlighter yellow, boof, like, you know, it, we'd, you know, at least if the sun wasn't out, you got a little bit of the rays. But yeah, God said love those neighbors. Ask them how their kids are doing. Walk across the street and avert your eyes, because you might go blind. <laughs> love them. Our neighbors, they, they do things sometimes that, 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 like, annoy us, right? But God says, no, love them specifically. Lo and you're like, love them? I don't know. Why does God want us to love our neighbors? Because God works through that. God loves these unlikely friendships that form. God works through our compassion. God works through our love. God works through our care. The kingdom grows when we have the courage to step out into our neighbor's world, just like Jesus stepped out into our world. Like, this is close to the heart of God. God doesn't want us to create an inner circle that hides from the world, but he wants us to, to open our arms uh, to those around us. And that doesn't mean that everyone has to be your best friend. I just want to say that because that's not realistic. <laughs> but he, and there are going to be some people who, who love you and disciple you and mentor you and have a, a big place in your life. And, and you're not, I'm not calling you to put all that on the table, but you have a mission field right next door. You know, some of us would be willing to go across the world to share Christ. And Jesus is saying, how about next door? How about the people you can't get away from? Start there. So, James wraps up this thought by saying this in verse 12 and verse 13, and I think this is so key. He says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy over judgment. Such a powerful line. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God wants us to be a people that don't exude judgment, but exude mercy. 
and love. Remember, James said we're guilty of breaking the whole law. We're guilty ourselves. The only good that we have is through Christ. The only good that we have is because God was merciful to us, not judging. And so he wants that through his love poured out through us, through the Holy Spirit, he wants that to invade our neighborhood, invade our churches. He wants people to see the church and experience the mercy of God. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the gospel. This is true for our lives. The mercy of Christ has has trampled the, the, the things that would call you condemned. Mercy has triumphed over the sin in your life. Because if we were judged appropriately for our sin, we would all be hopeless. Praise Jesus for his mercy. So what James is saying is there's a disconnect if we have received the mercy of Christ and yet live in judgment towards someone else. That's a disconnect. Mercy the whole way through. Of course, we call people to repentance, but what people need to see from us is mercy. Mercy in love. In, in, in showing people love that they probably don't deserve, but that God would call us to give. Because we're supposed to live transformed lives. We're supposed to allow the mercy of God to, to, to mess up our hearts, to mess them up, so that all of a sudden we love people who, who might be really hard to love, right, it's, it, for us. He doesn't want us to live with our arms crossed towards the world, saying they're just a bunch of idiots. They're just a bunch of fools. We aren't called to look around at the world and, and, and judge people. You know, and, and we might get indignant sometimes, right, when we see when we see the homeless population growing, God's saying, no, have mercy. I've shown you mercy, have mercy. Don't cross your arms. Don't dismiss someone else's humanity, someone that I died for and that I love. Show them kindness. So James says to his church, like, don't you see that, the, that, that God is actually, and this is mind-blowing, God's actually called the, the poor in the world often to be rich in faith. Don't think they don't have anything to offer. They do. They're going to mess you up and change your life in a good way. James says, James says that God chose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. God chose the poor. God's at work in that whole situation. And if you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that's God's heart. You see that God has called the poor. He's, he came to proclaim good news to the poor. He's got a plan. So I hope today, on Mother's Day, I was wondering how this message would land in Mother's Day. It's just where we're at in the Bible, guys. So I'm sorry for all the moms who are like, that's not what I was expecting today. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I'm not trying to guilt you into, into loving your neighbor. I just want you to see that God has poured out his mercy on you. And I want there to be a connection between the mercy that you've received and the mercy that you give others. I want there to be a, a channel, a channel of love that flows through you and flows out to everyone you encounter. That you'd have the grace to deal with even the weirdest situations with your neighbors that you'd have the grace to love everybody who walks through the doors of this church. 
and that you would treat everybody who walks in the doors of this church like Jose treated me. Like, hey, what can I do for you? How can I bless you? What I want to do this morning is just ask a couple questions. And these are for you to ponder and even pray. And we're going to take just a minute to be quiet. We're going to pray these in silence. And, or even just ponder them. If you don't want to pray them, just ponder them. And I'm going to do it too. And the two questions are these. God, who are you asking me to make important? Are there people I've been brushing aside that you're calling me to make more important? And then the second question is, God, do I actually need to ask anyone's forgiveness that I've judged wrongly? Like, is there a feud going on between you and your neighbor? Or you and a coworker, Or even someone in the church? God wants to bring healing and redemption in all of those places. So let's just take a minute and pray. Lord, help us as we ponder these things and pray these things, God. as I think about these two questions, I just I think of my lack of compassion and how full that reservoir is from you. And so Lord, I, I pray God that Lord, that you would just pour your compassion in me and through me. Pour your compassion in and through this church. Lord, I think that a group of loving neighbors can transform a community. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be that in here, to treat each other like family, to love like no other group of people loves, and then to extend that out to the world, God. We pray this in Jesus' name.